Welcome to Vision of Zion. My name is Craig Perry. This is episode number nine. Today we're going to continue to talk about the kingdom of God and the hope that we should all have that this is going to be established. I know I mentioned it would be in our lifetimes. Some of us are one-year-old. Some of us are, you know, 100 years old. So I'm not sure that that's a totally accurate statement, but it sure seems like in my lifetime, certainly, the, the events that are unfolding, we're going to see these things happen. And then again, there have been people from other generations who felt the same way and it did not occur. But as I look at the signs, it just seems like everything is coming together. And for that reason, there should be great hope. Jesus taught that with God, all things are possible. And that for those who believe in him, all things are possible. I want to start with what sounds like maybe an impossible story. And I believe it is a story that happened in the past. And there are very similar elements to this story that are going to occur in the near future. The Bible gives very brief treatment to a prophet named Enoch. Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. What little we know about him in the Bible is written in Genesis chapter 5. We know that he's the father of Methuselah, who is the oldest recorded person in the, in the Bible, 969 years. But we also know that he was a righteous man. It says in Genesis 5, uh, verse 23, that he lived 365 years. And then verse 24. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. <laughs> to learn more about Enoch, we have to step outside of the Bible and see what other information is available. It turns out there's a wealth of information. Enoch became a translated being, not unlike the prophet Elijah. He did not taste of death. Nor, we're going to learn, did the city that he founded, the city of Enoch. We know that early Christians knew about Enoch because... The book of Enoch was found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. And although there were no copies written in the Hebrew, there were fragments found in the Aramaic. And of course, Aramaic is a language that Jesus spoke. These fragments date back to 300 to 200 before Christian era, as early as that. Now, one of the scholars of the Dead Sea Scrolls, a retired Methodist preacher named Margaret Barker, who was a pro has been a prolific writer on these issues. If you want to go to margaretbarker.com, she has written three or four books that deal with Enoch, some directly. I really recommend that you uh, become familiar with her works because what she gathers from the Dead Sea Scrolls is that there was a major shift in Judaism and it's scriptural accounts, scriptural writings that caused things like Enoch's writings to be overlooked or forgotten or pulled from the scriptures. He talks about Israel's pre-exilic, if I'm saying that word right, religion before the exile. If you want to get a taste of her view of things, which is really intriguing, I recommend you go to YouTube and type in the words, what did Josiah reform? And there's about a half hour talk about reformations and including in the scriptures that occurred in Jewish society during the reign of Josiah. 
I'm going to give you a sample of some of her book titles about Enoch that give treatment to Enoch. One is called The Lost Prophet. I'll read you part of the description of the book. It says, reading the book of Enoch unleashes a new one. That's, of course, the scriptures or what was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Reading the book of Enoch unleashes a new understanding of early Christianity and one that is uncannily relevant to the late 20th century. Though neglected and almost forgotten by the church for almost 1,500 years, the book of Enoch was one of the most important writings of the pre-Christian period and was kept and used by the early church. Some of the topics that the book of Enoch covers are the problem of evil, humankind's relationship with the Creator, the role of the expected Messiah, and other themes, key themes in Judaism and Christianity that challenge many traditional assumptions. Now, another book she wrote that gives treatment to Enoch is called The Older Testament, The Survival of Themes from the Ancient Royal Cult in Sectarian Judaism and Early Christianity. Here's a piece of that summary of that book. It says it takes as its basis the theology of the Book of Enoch, lost to Western Christendom for many centuries, but here recognized as providing the most consistent set of clues to the nature of Israel's pre hexilic religion. Reformers and editors of the Second Temple period sought to remove from the biblical text all traces of the older ways, which now survive only in the apparently bizarre themes and imagery of certain pseudepigrapha. So she's sensing here these ancient traditions that during the Reformation period were removed and forgotten. Now, there's also another tradition, which are fragments and pieces of information, which Joseph Smith, who founded the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, claims that he received from the Lord when he was going through the Bible and through the inspiration of God, was providing commentary and making corrections. And he received a lengthy revelation, which is now placed in and among the canon of the Church of Jesus Christ as the Book of Moses, or a missing part of the Book of Genesis, the kind of redaction that Margaret Barker is maybe suggesting occurred. Although she's not endorsing anything that Joseph Smith did, but this tradition is alive with her and he claims that he received insight about Enoch. And I believe that what he provided to the world, again, stepping outside of the current version of the Bible, is worth looking at and considering. So like Moses, Enoch was a reluctant prophet of the Lord. And by the way, I should throw this in too. There is a very important scholar among the Church of Jesus Christ, which whose name is Hugh Nibley. And Hugh Nibley wrote a book called the, the uh, Enoch the Prophet. And in that book, he compares passages from the revelations of Joseph Smith with the book of First Enoch, which is the book we're referring to that was found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he finds some striking parallels he basically harmonizes the two, puts verses side by side to show that, in fact, uh, Joseph's uh, intuition and his revelation was had some basis in, in the Book of Enoch, which, as I recall, was not well known or known at all in the Americas when he penned that revelation. The story goes, there's two accounts of his conversion as a prophet and calling as a prophet. One is the actual 
event and another one is him recounting it to people who he was preaching repentance to. So he's in prayer and he asks the Lord to, well actually I'm not sure what he was asking the Lord, but the Lord told him to get up to a mountain called Mount Simeon. This makes us think of Moses being called up to Mount Sinai. He said he saw the Lord, now this is in the book of Moses chapter 7, in the Pearl of Great Price, among the standard works of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He says he saw the Lord and he stood before his face, talked with them as one man talks with another face to face. And then the Lord begins to show him the world and over the space of many generations. And like most prophets that we read about, he is supposed to call the people to repentance. And then if they repent, that they should be baptized. And of course, this is pretty fascinating because this is baptism before Christ emphasized this ordinance. We believe that baptism occurred all the way back to Adam, in fact. So he, he asked the Lord, you know, basically, why are you picking on me? I'm uh, kind of like Moses. He has a speech problem and he's slow and people won't believe him. But the Lord told him he'd back him. 100% if he did what he was told to do. Now, Enoch faced fierce enemies in his time. We recall that Jesus said if we had the faith the size of a mustard seed, or as a mustard seed, that we could move mountains. By the way, I, I taught a lesson on this once in Sunday school, and I brought to class uh, a bunch of mustard seeds, and I taped them to index cards so people could get an idea of how small this uh, seed was. And of course it becomes a big plant. That's usually the parable that I think of as the small seed becoming a large plant. But I learned something else when I did that lesson and that is that the flavor, the power of the mustard seed, mustard seed, it is very powerful. You just bite into one little seed and man, you get a really strong flavor and taste of mustard. So I think that the Jesus's uh, metaphor to faith being uh, like a mustard seed was also not just the size, but the strength that you could get out of one tiny little seed. Anyway, I believe that the conditions in which Enoch lived are going to parallel or do parallel our time today we know that he was taken from the earth before the flood, so he didn't experience maybe the growing wickedness that surrounded Noah and his family at the time the ark was built. But we know that times were wicked back then, and that's what Enoch, the book of Enoch talks about, is how wicked things were. <clears throat> I won't get into that now, but they were the, the righteous were persecuted, and they were um, there was there were wars that were occurring in his time as he tried to call people to repentance and he did gain converts people listened they were convict convicted of their sins and they were converted to the lord and this caused a lot of friction in society does that sound familiar but listen to this these are some verses here this is moses seven thirteen, and so great was the faith of enoch that he led the people of God and their enemies came to battle against them. And he spake the word of the Lord and the earth trembled and the mountains fled, even according to his command. And the rivers of water were turned out of their course and the roar of the lions was heard out of the wilderness 
And all nations feared greatly, so powerful was the word of Enoch. And so great was the power of the language which God had given him. There also came up a land out of the depth of the sea, and so great was the fear of the enemies of the people of God, that they fled and stood afar off and went upon the land which came up out of the depth of the sea. Now, as I thought about this today, I, I realized that the emphasis is not to be placed on Enoch and what he could do. The emphasis is on God and what God can do and what he can do with boots on the ground who willingly follow his word. He will give us the power to accomplish his will, whatever his will is at that time. And of course, we see here a gathering of righteous people through repentance well before the flood so that God could bring salvation to his people. Now, this is a very important point next that I want to bring up. Verse 16 says, And from that time forth there were wars and bloodshed among them, but the Lord came and dwelt with his people, and they dwelt in righteousness. So among the righteous who gather, there is peace, and there is no war, there is no bloodshed. Let's keep reading. Verse 17, The fear of the Lord was upon all nations. So great was the glory of the Lord, which was upon his people. And the Lord blessed the land, and they were blessed upon the mountains and upon the high places, and did flourish. And the Lord called his people Zion, because they were of one heart and one mind, and dwelt in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. You know, constantly we see these allusions uh, or references to no classes, no poor, everybody was doing well. And they didn't suffer there to be any naked or hungry. I'm sure they were also probably very healthy as well, but they lived in peace and harmony despite what was going on around them. Verse 19, and Enoch continued his preaching and righteousness unto the people of God. And it came to pass in his days that he built a city that was called the city of holiness, even Zion. And then it goes on to say in verse 21, and it came to pass that the Lord showed unto Enoch all the inhabitants of the earth, and he beheld and lo in process of time, excuse me, and lo Zion in process of time was taken up into heaven. And the Lord said unto Enoch, behold mine abode forever. Uh, this was a city that, like Enoch, was translated and taken into heaven. So great was the righteousness that they achieved during his sojourn on the earth, which was, three again, 365 years. And I think he was called to be a prophet at the age of 65. He called himself but a lad. I guess the way that people lived back then, 65 was very young. So it's kind of fun to read him calling himself a lad at 65, and but then within 300 years, he had been able to uh, live in harmony with people and get enough people together to form a city which did not have to live in the world of war and warfare. The Lord protected them. Now, what happens next is the Lord kind of shows them and says, well, that's all great and good, what's, what's happening here. But I want to show what's going to, what's going to happen on the earth to the residue of the people that, 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 that don't repent. And it was very sad. And, and he also sees the earth suffering as if it is, has its own spirit, which I, I believe from these writings that it does. And he becomes very consumed and worried about when is the earth going to rest? 
when will the earth rest? Because as the wickedness occurs on the earth, the earth suffers. And Enoch is seeing this in his, uh, you know, celestial tour that God is giving him. And he keeps saying, Lord, when is the earth going to rest? And this is why I want to talk about the relevance of Enoch today. Not only the promises that the righteous can be protected, but also because there's a pattern here. And guess what? The city of Enoch is going to return. So again, Enoch is asking, Lord, Lord, is I'm seeing all this bad stuff happen. When is it going to get better? And the Lord says in verse 60, And the Lord said unto Enoch, As I live, even so will I come in the last days, in the days of wickedness and vengeance, to fulfill the oath which I gave unto you concerning the children of Noah. Now, if you remember in Matthew 24, when the Savior's discussing the end of time, end times with the apostles, he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be the coming of the Son of Man. So there's going to be wickedness and vengeance on the earth when he comes, but there's also going to be these cities of refuge, these cities of light, cities of holiness. Zion will also be established. So let's just keep reading verse 61. And the day shall come that the earth shall rest, but before that day the heavens shall be darkened, and a veil of darkness shall cover the earth, and the heavens shall shake, and also the earth, and great tribulations shall be among the children of men, but my people will I preserve. So there is the promise. The Lord is going to preserve the righteous, those who are attempting and trying really hard to live his commandments and follow his teachings of charity, love, and faith and righteousness are going to be protected. And then he says this, which this is a thrilling verse to me. And righteousness will I send down out of heaven, and truth will I send forth out of the earth to bear witness of mine only begotten, his resurrection from the dead, yea, and also the resurrection of all men. And righteousness and truth will I cause to sweep the earth as with a flood, to gather out mine elect from the four quarters of the earth unto a place which I shall prepare, an holy city, that my people may gird up their loins and be looking forth for the time for, for my coming. For there shall be my tabernacle, and it shall be called Zion, a new Jerusalem. So we're going to have knowledge of Jesus Christ, knowledge that he did resurrect from the dead, and that this is a promise for all mankind now. And this is going to sweep like a flood. So we're looking at this Noah, the, the literal flood, versus this flood of knowledge. A gathering is going to take place, and then eventually the city is going to be formed called the New Jerusalem. And then this is what the Lord says to Enoch, which, again, he's the prophet who is part of this translated city. He says, And the Lord said unto Enoch, verse 63, Then shalt thou and thy city meet them there, and we will receive them into our bosom, and they shall see us. We shall, and we will fall upon their necks, and they shall fall upon our necks, and we will kiss each other. And there shall be mine abode, and it shall be called Zion, which shall come forth out of all the creations which I have made, and for the space of a thousand years the earth shall rest. So finally he sees the, the light breaking forth after watching generations of sin and wickedness on the earth. 
And it says in verse 65, And it came to pass that Enoch saw the day of the coming of the Son of Man in the last days to dwell on the earth in righteousness for the space of a thousand years. But before that day, he saw great tribulations among the wicked and also saw the sea, which was troubled and men hearts failing them, looking forth with fear for the judgments of the Almighty God, which should come upon the wicked. And the Lord showed Enoch all things, even unto the end of the world, and he saw the day of the righteous, the hour of the redemption, and received a fullness of joy. Well, we are in the midst of this transitional period. The Lord is calling us to gather. He's calling us to leave Babylon, to reject the creeds of men, to have faith in Jesus Christ, to repent and be baptized. And Enoch is this prototype of someone calling us to repentance. And we see that the Lord will not withhold his protection if we are faithful, except the Lord cuts short the tribulations, we wouldn't be able to survive them. That's the truth. But he has promised us that he will protect us. It even says in the scriptures, which I'll get into later, that if he has to send fire from heaven to protect the righteous, he will do it. And as we can see here, he moved mountains, he formed new land masses for people to run to away from the righteous. There's this power in the concept of Zion that is inescapable. Remember the story in the book of uh, Jonah, where Jonah is told to go preach to the people in Nineveh, and he doesn't want to, uh, but he does go, and guess what? They repented. I think it was for a space of about 70 years that people lived righteously, and uh, the Lord is always calling for us to repent and return to him. Christ has said he would gather us as a hen gathers her chicks, has done, is doing, and will do if we will just turn to him. Not only Jonah, not only Enoch, but we also have Melchizedek, another important spiritual leader who has been kind of scrubbed from history until Joseph Smith received additional revelations about him. And then much later, the Dead Sea Scrolls arrive and Margaret Barker is all over it. She wrote a book about him called The Great High Priest, again, drawing from ancient records which were discovered recently, the last 74 years. Melchizedek is mentioned in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. He was the king of Salem. He was a priest of the Most High God. But there's so much more about him to be known. Let us go to the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis chapter 14. It says here, verse 26, Now Melchizedek was a man of faith, who wrought righteousness. And when a child, he feared God and stopped the mouths of lions and quenched the violence of fire. And thus, having been approved of God, he was ordained and high priest after the order of the covenant, which God made with Enoch. It being after the order of the Son of God, which order came not by man, nor the will of man, neither by beginning of days nor end of years, but of God. This sounds a lot like the stone cut out of the mountain without hands that we're going to see in the last days, don't we? It's uh, not by man. Listen to the power that the Lord gave to Enoch here. 
as he talks about Melchizedek. For God having sworn unto Enoch and unto his seed with an oath by himself that every one being ordained after this order and calling should have power by faith to break mountains, to divide the seas, to dry up waters, to turn them out of their course. This sounds just like the uh, Acts of Enoch. Let's keep going. What else can this power do? To put at defiance the armies of nations, to divide the earth, to break every band, to stand in the presence of God, to do all things according to his will, according to his command, subdue principalities and powers, and this by the will of the Son of God, which was from before the foundation of the world. And men, having this faith, coming up, unto this order of God were translated and taken up into heaven. Well, that's the highlight of these verses. Um, the power of God plus boots on the ground by holders of this priesthood can perform miracles that will transform societies and transform the earth because God will not be denied his uh, promises and covenants that he makes with his children. Let's just read a little bit more about about Melchizedek and Closic. says he was a priest of this order. He obtained peace in Salem and was called the Prince of Peace. Of course, Salem is Jerusalem. It said his people wrought righteousness and obtained heaven and sought for the city of Enoch, which God had taken separately, separating it from the earth, having reserved it unto the latter days or the end of the world. This is one of the signs we should be looking forward to is the return of the city of Enoch. Skipping down, Melchizedek, having thus established righteousness, was called the king of heaven by his people, or in other words, the king of peace. It says here that Abraham, then Abram, paid tithes to Melchizedek. If we truly understood the power of God, the power of his priesthood, and his intentions, we would have no fear. If we die, we die unto the Lord, and if we are preserved, we can bring about uh, God's purposes and transform our societies and have peace on the earth. This is not going to be done through any other means. Again, I refer back to Daniel 2.44. The stone, the kingdom of heaven, is going to break in pieces the remaining remnants of the image. And the kingdom that gets established is never going to be destroyed. That kingdom is born... From the church, a woman likened unto a woman travailing in birth, as it's set forth in Revelation chapter 12. And this child will rule the nations with a rod of iron. Well, the iron rod is the word of God. Truth will come forth. And the lives of Melchizedek, the lives of Enoch, are a reflection and a prophetic historical event or events that are going to be repeated in our generation. I think generation is a safer word than saying in my lifetime or in our lifetimes, but in our generation, this is all coming together. Now there's a sign that precedes the birth of the kingdom of our God and his Christ. And it's the woman in the heavens. Maybe sometime we'll be able to talk about Revelation chapter 12, verse one, and whether the sign has been given and what that means. I've been looking at this issue since 2017. Here we are, 2022. I think that that will be a topic worth investigating. Just remember, the signs always precede the event. Just like you're driving down a highway and the sign says, 
you know, exit to Los Angeles is a hundred miles ahead or something. Signs precede events. They don't happen at the same time. They are warnings. They are advisories. They are get ready suggestions and hints. And if you're paying attention and looking for these signs, then you won't be surprised. Thank you for listening.